0: One guest, 10 songs, 10 reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. My very special guest on this edition of Music Was My First Love is an American singer-songwriter, musician and actress who in the 1970s amassed a string of hit singles in Europe and Australia, including Can The Can, Double Gate Drive, 48 Crash and If You Can't Give Me Love. She went on to take up acting roles in US sitcom Happy Days as well as various UK shows including Minder, Absolutely Fabulous and Midsummer Murders. On the stage she starred in Annie Oakley in a London production of Annie Get Your Gun and after almost 50 years since the release of her debut album she's still rocking and released a brand new album in early 2021. I'm talking about Susie Quattro and with much to talk about we'll hear from Susie after her first choice which I'm delighted to say is Quattro, Scott and Powell with their version of Bob Dylan's Just Like a Woman. New clothes. Susie Quattro, welcome to Radio girl Morgan's Music with My First Love. How do we find you?
1: Yes, I'm doing good. Yeah, I had my first band rehearsal yesterday, so we got one gig coming up finally, June the 12th at the uh, Peterborough Showground, and I'm happy to say it's like riding a bike. Good, good. Got <laughs> <I just stopped laughs> back on and pedaled, you know. Oh, fantastic! We rehearsed for three and a half hours, nonstop, bouncing around the room, and I wasn't even slightly tired which Brilliant. is
0: good. Tell me about your first choice uh, from you and a couple of talented
1: mates. Yes, my husband had the idea of putting me and Andy Scott and Don Powell together, and we never, never made it happen until 2017, and finally we said, yes, let's do this. So we made this great album. I'm a Bob Dylan fanatic, so of course I wanted to do at least one of his songs. And when you get to sing a, a favourite song of yours with musicians of the caliber of Andy and Don, boy, do you sing it. That's all I can say. Mm. It's one of my best ever vocals because you can't believe you're being allowed to sing this song. Um, And, and Quattro, Scott and Powell, we actually supported me on my last, uh, not my last Australian tour, one of my Australian tours. And uh, it was so funny because it was called uh, the leather forever encore tour. And I went out as a bass player, singer with Quattro, Scott and Powell, went backstage, changed into my jumpsuit and came out and did the, Did the headlining part, you know, so (laughs) I was my own support group. I know that's nuts. And I think I sang something like three, seven song night without a certain bit of trouble. Nothing. and My throat just did it. So, wow, that that incredibly hard work, but good work.
0: How do you look after your throat?
1: I do everything I'm supposed to do. I make sure I get minimum nine to ten hours of sleep because that's really important for your throat. I don't smoke. Um, I don't party. Most, if, if there's a gig at the night, I'm very quiet in the daytime. I learned this a long time ago. It's 57 years in the business, you know? So that's a long time. Yeah.
0: You grew up in Detroit. Having done research, it's a fairly redundant question to open with, but I'll ask it anyway. Did you have music growing up at home?
1: Oh, God, yeah. I, I grew up in a very musical family. There's five children. My father was a musician. He, he worked at General Motors in the daytime and played music at night, so he music all his life. We had... It's not unusual. All my family play two or three instruments each. It's, it's not a big thing. You don't even brag about it, just how we are. Mm. I actually read and write and play classical piano and percussion. I play enough guitar to write on, and I taught myself bass. Once you know piano, that's your sort of passport to any instrument you want to learn, really. Yeah. And who, who were the Art Quattro Trio? That's my father's band. When I was young... And I got my first instrument, which was bongo drums. My dad used to let me come, and on a Sunday this was. He had an Oakland Hills Country Club, and he let me come and sit in front of the trio and play a few songs on my bongos. So that that was my first professional gig. That was about seven or eight years old. That was wow. great.
0: When you who were you listening to on on record and on the radio? Was it Presley? At home, yeah. Was it Presley and the Beatles?
1: Well, back back in you know, well, you know that's a big general question. Do you mean in my teenage years? Yeah. In Detroit. Yeah, growing up. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Influence-wise, it was Elvis Presley from the age of five and a half, big time light bulb moment, um, and then of course in the '60s, I was not having hits yet, so it's every all the records, you know. Yeah. It was after seeing the Beatles that I formed the band. Uh, Otis Redding, big big influence. Uh, Bob Dylan for lyrics. Um, Can Heat I liked. I liked all the early Motown, the 60s coming out of Detroit. So, yeah, those are my main influences.
0: Your second choice, Susie, is for the man known as, and is still known almost 44 years after his death, the king. Can you remember the first time you heard Elvis?
1: Yeah, sure. I was um, five and a half years old, and I was watching the Ed Sullivan show, which was a variety show, and it was a family variety show and at eight o'clock all the family sat down and watched the Ed Sullivan show and so there's five kids we're all in the room with my mom and dad and at the end of the show he always brought on something for the youngsters is what he called it and on came Elvis and my eldest sister who's nine years older than me she started screaming and I remember looking at I'm only five and a half and I'm thinking why are you screaming what's the matter with you and then I looked into the TV and. Light bulb moment for me, big time. I was hypnotized basically. I went into the screen and a little light bulb went on over my head at that age, and I thought, I'm going to do that. He was singing this song I don't want no other love, baby. It's just you. I'm mm.
0: You were saying earlier that you learned classical piano. As a songwriter, does being able to play classical music give you a better understanding when you're writing different genres? Because, of course, somebody like Billy Joel is classical trained.
1: I think it's one of the best instruments you can learn. It's actually your orchestra. It's actually your touchstone. Um, I often will get a little bass with going or... You know, I, I'm not a good guitar player because I'm not a failed guitar player. So I didn't learn guitar first and then go to bass. I started on bass, you know. So it, may, it makes you learn guitar differently. So I'm not a great player on guitar, but I, I can play enough to start a song, to do a song on it. But then once it gets a little bit more complicated, then I go to piano. I do often write on the piano, I have to say. I do often write on it. Yeah, it just opens up the whole world for you. It's, it is an orchestra. And I'm really glad that I learned classical and popular music because popular music on the piano gives you all your, your first or fifth bass notes and all your chording. So I basically learned all that kind of stuff on piano.
0: A great advocate of doo-wop and rhythm and blues who's now making some great, fantastic blues music, Dion, for your next choice. Tell me about Runaround Sue.
1: I, I, I got the chance to see Dion several times. Not that long ago. And I also did a, one of my, when I was on radio too, I did uh, a documentary on him. And we got talking. I always remember it. We got talking and I said, you know what, Dion? We got along right away. Just I just loved him. I said, um, you were one of the ones that I used to watch when I was growing up. I was, wouldn't have been more than seven or eight, right around there, eight or nine, however long ago that was. And, I, and he used to be on American Bandstand all the time, another TV show. And I said, you were one of the ones that I used to watch and I knew that there was something behind you just singing that song. I, I guess you'd call it that little extra special thing, whatever it is. He take that as a great compliment. And then I since found out that he learned how to phrase and sing and breathe from horn players. And it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. All that kind of thing. Yeah. And of course, "Run around Sue was the song that this is the one that when I was, Sitting around at the girl boy parties back in the day, and the boys would be over that corner, the girls over here. That song came on. I was on the floor. Run Around Sue by Dion.
0: to the uk in 71 tell me about the influence that mickey most had on you at the beginning
1: well he discovered me in detroit he had come there to record jeff beck and cozy pal at motown i was in the second wave of my all band called cradle and i'd gone from being the main lead singer bass player the whole up front show they put me in the back to bring my little sister in to sing lead so during the night i would only do a few songs And even so, Mickey did not want the band he wanted me. So it was my my time to go. Mickey was kind of my father figure once I left home. That's the best way I can describe it. We were good friends. We got along. Um, He never could put me on record. He'd be the first one, bless him, be the first one to say that. He didn't know how to record me. He just didn't know what to do with me. He knew I was different. He kept saying, you're unique and you're androgynous and, my God, this rocker and, oh, my God, he loved what I was. He called me his secret weapon, but he couldn't get it on record. He oh. couldn't get it on record. So it, it took it took Mike uh, Chapman and Nicky Chin to do that. But Mickey, I miss every day. You know, he was uh, – I just I loved the man.
0: And 18 years on uh, from Mickey's passing – Uh, His talent and experience is is probably still much missed by the music industry, isn't it?
1: Yeah, he was, uh, two people taught me, I say it this way, um, valuable lessons that I've taken for a lifetime. My father's one of them, and then I'll tell you about Mickey. My father taught me my work ethic and my professionalism. He pulled me aside when I was about 16, been in the band two years, and he said, um, I want to talk to you. I said, yes. He said, now you're doing this seriously. And I said, yeah. He said, okay, first of all, number one, this is a profession. Number two, when you do a show, if there's 10 people or 10,000, every one of those people has taken money out of their pocket to come see you. And you owe them. So that stayed with me my lifetime. Mickey, Mickey I, I, I'll say Mickey's biggest lesson he gave me, which was kind of funny. I used to hate to fly. And I would do, I would take... Trans-Siberian Express ticket to Germany. Anything to not fly. And one time, I was supposed to do a very important television show in Germany, and I pretended to be sick. I, I lied basically. <laughs> I didn't want to go on. Didn't want to go on. Anyway, uh, um, so we didn't do the show. It was one. It was like the German equivalent of Top of the Pops. So not a good idea. So Mika called me into his office after I said I wasn't well a few days later, and he sat me down and he said, "Okay." He said, "Um, I understand about your fear of flying. He said, "Uh, I don't like flying myself. So I get it. He said, now, I've just had some offers for you to go to America on tour, back to America, back home. And you're not going to be able to take trains and cars and buses all over America. It's too big. So you now have a choice to make. You can have a big career or a small career. Very smart. Very smart. I just sat there a minute and I went, right, book the floats. (laughs) So, so Mickey gave me that sort of professional attitude, you know, and also, you know, doing interviews, he said, you do everything that moves, always give somebody their valuable time. And yeah, Mickey, that's the other thing Mickey used to say. He used to say, you can't tell, tell Susie what to do. You can suggest strongly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Going back to your, your dad's advice about whether you play in front of 10 people or 10,000 people, it's very similar because you don't know who's going to be there. There's a lovely story that Sting tells when the police were touring America in the very, very early days. They weren't huge, and they got to a venue, and there were about eight or nine people there, and they still played, and one of those eight or nine people was part of a record company that signed them up in America. So you don't know who's going to be there.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not even that. Now, see, I don't, I don't even go to that angle. I, I just... Always have to give my best, mm. and people have commented on it before, you know we've all had gigs like that, maybe maybe you're doing an outside festival, and then it's hailing, you know, and then the people don't come, but you still do your best show. this is what's in me. You do your best show mm. because each person deserves to see the best yeah that's how I feel about it
0: in in the early part of your career, as you were finding your way, I guess. Supporting the likes of Thin Lizzy, Slade, and and Alice Copa, standing in the the wings watching those guys, you can only learn, can't you?
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, with Alice, I'd already had loads of hits, so I wasn't learning anything I knew him from the time I was a teenager, so he was he was a colleague. Um, and Thin Lizzy and Slade, it was that was the tour just before I had my first number one. Thin Lizzy, nice guys. I didn't think of them of learning anything. They were more colleagues. They were more friends because I was right on the brink myself. So you don't you don't learn so much. I think you learn more when you're in your formative years and you're watching your heroes perform. This is when you soak it up like a sponge. And work out when you're developing your own act what you can use for you. This is more the case. Mm. But certainly by the time I did that tour, I was on my way anyway, you know, right. had my band doing my own songs and da, da, da. So you're not in the learning phase anymore, but I certainly can count them as my friends, you know. Natty is still a friend, you know, got along great with them.
0: Well, then that comes over in some of your 10 choices, Susie, is a great love of uh, doo wop. And for your fifth choice, Jive Five and My True Story. When when did the love for doo wop start? Because I guess it's it's an out. It's it's part of rock and roll, isn't it?
1: Oh sure, sure, it's part of rock and roll. And in fact, it developed when they start. I think the whole story was I did a big program on this, where they demanded the musicians' union. They put all these rules and regulations in place, and they it, they they found it less expensive to make a record doing all the instruments themselves, which is where doo-wop came yeah. from. Um But I had older brothers and sisters. So I heard my nine-year-old sister, all her music, then I heard my brother's music, then the one next to me's music, and then my younger. So I have all this. in my head. doo-wop. I liked in the 50s when it first started to happen. Even Dion, he's a doo-wop. But this is this, um, My True Story by the Jai Five. This is what I like to think of as... The best of doo-wop. This is real doo-wop. Just what a great story. A tearjerker, you know? And it's got all those different harmony parts. That you, you can see people singing this on the street corner. Fantastic song. One of my favorites. It could be my number one, but it's not. My my, my True Story by the Jive Five. Excellent. There is a story that I must tell.
0: The next choice, Susie, is from American pop singer Brian Highland. Tell me about Sealed with a Kiss.
1: <laughs> um, this was, you know, you, you, you can drive your parents mental. I know I certainly have <laughs> with my records. I, I one time had a lady write to me, a, a mother, and she said, Dear Susie, we like your music very much, but could you try to record something a little quieter? I thought... <laughs> 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 What a great letter. I oh. saved it. What a great letter. And the answer was no. Um <laughs> so this was one of those records for me that I played and my mother said it drove her mental. She said she'd hear me up on my ring going. She go, oh no, the fish and, and they go, doo, doo, doo. She said <laughs> it drove her crazy. I just love this song. It's it's a well constructed song, let's put it that way. You know, mm. it's got some nice bits in it, got nice singing, there's a nice sentiment behind it, sealed with a kiss, you know. Just one of my favorite songs. He's, he's one of the good ones, Brian Island. I like it a lot.
0: Sealed with a kiss, guess it's gonna be a cold, lonely summer. From the heart of the heath, online, on mobile, and on smart speaker, this. Is Radio of LaMorgan.
1: Stay by Maurice Williams. Well, that's got to be, I think, in probably a lot of people's top five. It was an iconic record. It captured something, you know. Um, Jackson Brown, of course, did a yeah. wonderful version of it all. The Roadies Take the stay That's one of my top top albums, by the way, Running on Empty. Oh. But um, this just had, he, he captured a, a vibe. That's what I like to say. This is a vibe record. Um, one of the good ones again. One of the good ones. Just a real, real good song. You know, it's one of those ones that when it comes on the radio, the volume goes up.
0: Who was Leather Tuscadero?
1: She was the character I played in my three seasons on Happy Days, 77, 78, and 79. They had the script for about six months. They couldn't find the right person to play this part. I got a call on tour in Japan by my publicist in America, and he said, they've seen your picture on the cover of Rolling Stone, and they think you're exactly what they need. Would you fly over? So spent my own money, flew over to audition, and um, it was supposed to be just a two-parter, one episode. And they said no. And so I ended up in it for three years. So <laughs> so that's great. You know, over three years. Yeah, uh, I, played a, I played a good part. In fact, I think the Americans, because they were a little bit slow on the single uptake, even though I toured there all the time, I didn't have so many hit singles in that little period there. They discovered Susie Quattro through La the Toscadero, which is a funny way around yeah. There you go. It doesn't matter as long as they got there.
0: <laughs> and, uh, and you've appeared in a few TV series in the UK, Dempsey and Make Peace, Midsummer Murders—absolutely fabulous—and also theatre work is is acting something you've enjoyed.
1: Oh yeah! In fact, if you watch the documentary Susie Q, which came out at the end of two nineteen, it explains all that. I'm I'm an artiste. That's it. I'm an artiste, and I will not be boxed in. And being an artiste means I can turn my creative self to a lot of different things within the entertainment industry. So. You know, I was on radio, too, for 15 yeah. years. I was up for uh, Radio Broadcaster of the Year Award at the Sony things, you know. Um, I'm on my fifth book being published. I wrote my own musical about Toledo Bankhead. I wrote and uh, starred in it. I write my own music. I been. I have my own talk show. Hmm. So I, I do a little bit of every, I do whatever I like to do. I love acting. I could have gone into acting instead of music. It was definitely a big love of mine, but then music reared its head and off I went, you know. But um, when something comes along that I like, I do it.
0: But uh, uh, arguably a part made for you was uh, Annie Oakley.
1: I know, wow. That was Andrew Lloyd Webber. He suggested, um, he's a good friend of mine, and he was having dinner, long story, but I'll make it short, with the guy that runs Chichester, the guy that used to run Chichester Festival Theatre, And they were having dinner. And he said, oh, what you got coming on? And he said, I'm going to be doing Annie Get Your Gun. Oh, have you cast the lead role yet? He said, no, I'm here to look for somebody. He said, oh, we go back to Essex. She's there. (laughs) 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 And um, yeah, I loved, I always wanted to do musical theater. I always knew I could. And, you know, I was walking in Ethel Merman shoes. Those are big shoes. Wow. what What a thrill that was to do that every night. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Wonderful. Wonderful stuff.
0: Susie, we've had over fifty guests on the series. In fact, you're the fifty first, and it's amazing how many of them—recording artists, radio broadcasters, or just music lovers—are massively influenced by the Beach Boys uh, and especially Brian Wilson. Have they done much the same for you?
1: The Beach Boys—they're—they're they're pretty hard to beat. They—I—I um, I, I don't want to just say Brian. You know, um, they were all good, but he was. He was, I think, the creative genius, really. You have to say it that way. But they, the whole group fit together wonderfully. Yeah, big, big fan. But the reason I, I picked the next track is because we had five kids, so we all didn't have everything we should have had. I didn't have a lot of my own stuff. I did my own record player for a long time, which really made me mad, which means that meant I had to sneak into my sister's room and she wasn't there, pick the lock, go in and listen to her records. And she was really fastidious. So if I had one back in the wrong order, she caught me. Anyway, finally one Christmas, I got my own transistor radio. Yay! <laughs> Took it upstairs to bed under my pillow so my mom didn't know I was listening at night. And on came the first record I ever heard on my own radio was a beach boy surfing safari. Let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how come on a safari with me.
0: You said in an interview that I found promoting your autobiography that you considered yourself an entertainer rather than a musician. From what you said before when we talked about the acting, that's obviously still very much the case, isn't
1: it? I, I am obviously a musician. What I think I mean what I... When I made my first passport when I was 14 and we were going to be going overseas in, in the following year and it said occupation, Now I could have put musician... But I put entertainer, I guess what that means is overall, if you look at the big picture, I've seen myself as an entertainer because I wouldn't like to say, oh, I only do that or I only do that. Yes, I entertain. Yes, I entertain. Mm. Whether it's with the bass, or if it's just singing or if it's dancing or whatever it might be, or if it's my poetry, whatever it is, I will entertain you. That's how I see myself. I am an entertainer. I was born to do that.
0: We go back to some do what for your eighth choice and the Dupree's. Tell us about the way you look tonight.
1: This is so in my heart, this one. Um, I learned how to slow dance to it with my sister, the next one in age to me. So she showed me how to dance during this. But it's one of those, um, and it's a very old song, by the way, because my dad used to play it. And I had a series on my radio two, my time at Radio Two, called My Dad's Songbook. One, of, I had it was quattrophonic, but I used to do themes, and one of them was My Dad's Songbook. And I would play an era of my dad's with the song, and then play the the copy. And the doo-wop rated, they rated the old songbook. That's what doo-wop did, rated all the old songs. This one is how I always pictured falling in love would be: see the pyramids along the aisle. The Nile, watch the sunrise on a tropic isle. Oh, and then when I met my husband of 27 years, before we got married, he took me to Egypt. I just said, "My song has come true. <laughs> we see the pyramids along the Nile." And I always wanted to fall in love to that song when we were sitting in front of the pyramids. That song was going through my head, and he took my hand and said, "I love you." How perfect is Aww. that? <laughs> so-
0: As we sit here at the end of May 2021, you've been, I follow you on Facebook. You've been incredibly uh, productive, especially during the latter part of lockdown. So tell me about the latest album, The Devil in Me.
1: I will. Um, it's, my, we had a benchmark because we did No Control. My son and I, this is Richard Tucky. And great album. Everybody loved it. Everybody went nuts. Oh, my God, this new partnership, blah, blah, blah. And we developed, or Richard developed a lot of confidence from that, because that was his first outing with me. And, uh, you know, 219 was high as a kite, you know, with the no control in the documentary and maybe 100 shows all sold out, iconic halls, two-hour solo shows. And 220 was even bigger. And then lockdown. So luckily, I built a little studio in my in my backyard, and um, it happened. So I said to my son, okay, forget about anything to do with depressing stuff. We're not going to be on the road. You're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. So what we're going to do is, because the company had taken up the option to do the second album, I said, right, we now have the time. So then my son got quite, I like to use the word belligerent. <laughs> 'Cause he got his confidence up. He said and he said to me, Mom, No Control was a great album. We got our feet wet, you know, th-. he said, Now this album you have to trust me and he kept saying it, Trust me, I thought, what does he keep saying that for? Trust me, trust me, trust me. So what he said was he wanted it to be as groundbreaking as the first album. And indeed, that's what we've managed to do. I have had such reviews over this album and it's charted everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um we made four videos from it. And all of them are gushing reviews, calling us a modern Chin and Chapman. I mean, just ridiculous. He's gotten his DNA watching me from the time he's a child. So that's who he sees. So it's like a perfect storm. He wanted to make this album as groundbreaking as the first one. This was in his head. This was the level he gave it. And he kept saying to me, if it doesn't vibe, it's not on the album. And everybody that worked on this that worked on no control at one time or another they came to me during the party, and they all said, it, Oh, we didn't think you're going be able to bear that no control, but you've done it. So Richard stuck to it. And he, what he did was he made me see myself fresh through his eyes. So it was like, I was starting all over hmm. and it, it sounds, everybody says it's you, but it's now I said, I know. And this is Dr. Richard's influence. I have to give him his credit.
0: We started this edition of Music Was My First Love with your cover of a Dylan classic, and now for your penultimate choice, the man himself. You're a fan of Bob Dylan, we know. We talked about him earlier, but why this particular song?
1: I I am a fan of Bob Dylan. I'm a fanatic. I even did a whole documentary. I did a big thing on Bob Dylan covers. Um, I discovered him when I was 14. I I fell in love with his lyrics. I'm a words person myself. I've even got a lyric book out, uh, and I got a poetry book out. He's another Gemini like me. Um, this song, for some reason, it makes me cry because of the profoundness of the lyrics. When you think about what he's saying, hmm. you know, how many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? See, I, I get I, just, I, I The only person I know besides myself, he's a friend of mine who cries at Bob Dylan, is um, Dennis Waterman.
0: Right. <laughs> we, all, <laughs>
1: we have that in common. I don't know why Just like a woman Lay, lady, lay But this Just so beautiful What it says hmm. And so true I love him Yes, how many deaths Will it take Till he knows That too many people have died The
0: answer, my friend Is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind. Come to your final choice, and it's from a man regarded as the father of rock and roll, Mr. Chuck Berry, another big influence, I would imagine.
1: Huge, huge, huge. I recently did a, a gig in Detroit with Mark Farner from Grand Funk Railroad, and we did this song together. And just before we did he came out and joined me, and I said, uh, none of us would be here. Without Chuck Berry, he he showed us the way. I actually gigged with him when I was 16 in Buffalo, New York. Um, The band I was with, we supported him. Um, The reason I chose this one is because I have been closing. It's become my song. I've been closing my set for the past 35 years with this song because I am a sweet little rock and roller.
0: (laughs) Susie, you've had a long and successful career. It's 50 years since you came to the UK, 48 since the release of the first album. So as you look back, is there one thing professionally that you're most proud of?
1: You can't pick out just one thing, but I, I, I think the thing I'm most proud of is that I've been successful for this many years and I have been able to maintain normality. That's, That's nice.
0: And once lockdown is completely over and life moves on, what's the future? Will you be
1: back on the road? Oh God, yeah. Every day it changes. So, but at the moment, it's full from July to the end of the year. Great. Don't know till you, you know. They might say yes, you can come. No, you can't. Who yeah. knows? But um, yeah, there's a big, big gig coming up at the Albert Hall next year on April twentieth. So the Queen of Rock and Roll is going to be playing the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, fantastic! And I, I'm writing for the next album already, and my next book through my thoughts based on my Instagram that I've been doing since lockdown started, that's coming out. Another coffee table, illustrated coffee table book. So I'm keeping very busy.
0: Susie's it been a thrill, a real thrill. Thank you very, very much.
1: And thank you.
0: You've been listening to another edition of Music Was My First Love on Radio Glamorgan, where Susie Quattro has been choosing ten of her favourite songs. I'm Andrew Wolfe, and join me again soon when someone else chooses ten of their favourite tracks on another edition of Music Was My First Love. Music was my first love